is John Saxon's Story Podcast, Chapter 13. The title of this chapter is The Reformist's Value System, and I will be reading this chapter, and my name is Jenny Hatch. The new approaches are unverified, but plausible. Professor Alan Schoenfield in 1992. Not recognizing the distinction between John's use of research to determine results for his program compared to NCTM's use of research to create their documents, those on John's side of the issue would always come away dissatisfied as he kept pushing for data that would prove at least one NCTM-based curriculum was more effective than his. It was evidently an impossible task simply because of the characteristics of the NCTM program, much of which was based on education philosophies from the early 1900s. For the self-avowed reformers who wanted to bring social equity to classrooms, their, quote, process was the results or the product of their work at the expense of mathematics content. John's challenges didn't matter. The NCTM group had built overwhelming connections to federal political power and tax dollars in the 1990s. They would just keep repeating that John's curriculum was, quote, traditional, which inflicted a derogatory value in the more progressive eyes of educators and political leaders. One of their most illustrious spokespersons, Professor Alan Schoenfield, a, a mathematics educator at the University of California, Berkeley, and an author of the 1992 California standards that reflected the NCTM standards admitted, the new programs lack a large scale empirical proof of success or the existence of compelling and documentable standards. To him, however, the alternative standard curriculum or drill and kill techniques didn't work. He claimed the NCTM supporters had loads of information that traditional math flops on its face for the vast majority of kids. Consequently, if you take a zero-based look the new approaches are unverified, but plausible. The old approach is a proven failure. Yet, their supporting information against was never forthcoming. Arguing against those remarks was Wayne Bishop, a professor of mathematics at California State University, Los Angeles, who said, there is no system out there. When people talk about traditional curricula, they are pretending as if we are following a plan that has been in place when in fact, we have been making serious compromises for years. California officials also admitted the new approach was largely untested, but said there was little they could do about it. In the past, they said, publishers had to show that their textbooks worked, but that system was suspended because data were often questionable or faulty. Don Feinerman, a recently retired state mathematics specialist in Oregon, 
agreed the method proposed by the NCTM Council hadn't been tested because that would have been too costly. It didn't matter about the lack of testing, according to Mr. Feinerman, as he cited the almost unanimous support of the new math strategy. He explained standardized tests didn't do a good job anyway of measuring the kind of higher level thinking skills the new curriculum emphasized. More national media attention was given to NCTM's lack of proof in 1993 when Chester E. Finn Jr. wrote an article entitled, What if those math standards are wrong in Education Week? He said, seldom has so profound a change in conventional wisdom and standard practice had such homage paid to it, so little resistance shown to its onrush, so few doubts raised about its underpinnings. Governor Roy Romer of Colorado and U.S. Secretary of Education Lamar Alexander praised the standards repeatedly. We better hope the NCTM has got it right. If not, American education's lemming-like rush to follow its lead could find us hurtling off a precipice. What happens to millions of children who receive prepackaged programs and their teachers are told the approved way to proceed? So long as many teachers are dependent in this way, it's vital to ask of any new approach being thrust upon the education world, whether it has been fully tested with students to ensure that it yields the desired results and is not just being promoted because it appeals to grown-ups caught up in ideological battles. He quoted from a book by Siegfried Engelmann, a world authority on direct instruction, a highly structured approach with clear expectations for teachers and students with tight performance requirements and quote, behavioral, rather developmental instructional practices, along with a strong emphasis on accountability for results. In War Against the School's Academic Child Abuse, Halcyon House 1992, Professor Engelman said the NCTM standards de-emphasize anything teachers have failed to teach. The most serious problem with the standards, however, is its arrogance. In the tradition of the sorting machine, it assumes that it can derive a curricular reform through metaphysical masturbation of words, though not through experimental evidence about what works and what doesn't. The writers of the standards did not first verify these activities, suggestions, and standards by first demonstrating that they worked and that they created kids who performed well in math. Instead, they made it up and then presented it as an authoritative document. Dr. Finn concluded, if Professor Engelman is right, we may be buying a pig in a poke. A full decade after, a nation at risk, and there's scant evidence that reform strategies are working. Instead, he said, people are responding by seeking to ease the push for results by going back to indices of input, effort, and intention found in the failed, quote, new math. 
1994 article written by well-known education columnist Jay Matthews at the Washington Post, Douglas Carnine, University of Oregon education professor and director of the National Center for Improving Tools of education, Educators, NCITE, and CITE, said education reform ideas in the U.S. rarely reflect much direct classroom research. In fact, he said his center found that 76% of teachers in a recent survey believed school reforms had not benefited the students who needed help the most. Researchers acknowledged the split between their work and what classroom teachers do, wrote Mr. Matthews, but they consider the difference a healthy antidote for complacency. My business is to do research and development on problems of math teaching, said James Fay at University of Maryland. That's why I am in research university, and I'm naturally going to be interested in doing things which I hope are on the cutting edge. Unless I'm out ahead of the schools, I'm not doing my job. Regardless of the lack of proof of performance under the new 1992 California curriculum framework, publishers who wished to sell to the state schools had to meet the new NCTM-dominated and non-research criteria. Half of the state's districts adopted those new reform standards. The others stayed with the previous standards. By publishers having to meet the new California standards, this meant many other states would be receiving textbooks built around that state's program. California and Texas have been the two leading buyers of textbooks. Therefore, publishers tend to create books and materials that are geared for them. That meant the guts of the books that went to the other states would follow the curricular philosophy and directions of those two states. Because there was no evidence that could support the implementation, let alone the effectiveness of the promoted curriculum, discussions about research had to focus on the NCTM resource materials they had used to write their published guidelines. These topics included conceptual learning, group discussions, lots of writing, frequent use of calculators and computers, and multiple ways of solving problems. They downplayed the use of traditional procedures and equations and they emphasized discovery learning, constructivism, where students worked on their own to teach themselves while in a group setting. In essence, when they said their programs were quote, research-based, they were technically correct but it was spin because it was a hodgepodge of different ideas and invalidated research. Obviously, feeling the heat over this issue, the NCTM hired a university professor to write a 1999 report about the problem. Dr. James Hybert, a professor of education at the University of Delaware, wrote that his task was to try and address the role that research can and should play 
and shaping standards. Saying that debates about mathematics reform had reached fever pitch, Dr. Hybert reported that the questions were fair, but they did not have simple answers. Standards in any field are rarely based solely on research. So the connection between research and standards is never straightforward. Then he issued a caveat. Research does not shine brightly on all aspects of the NCTM standards, so we cannot provide blanket statements. He explained the following factors that affected his task. Standards are not determined by research. As with other fields, he said, standards are statements about priorities and goals. In education, they are about what is most valued by the professionals in the field. While research can inform the debate, the reverse is equally true. The selection of standards signals what research is most relevant. If the paper and pencil computation of square roots is omitted from the standards, for example, then research that shows one method of teaching written computation of square roots is more effective than another probably will be ignored. He said, if ability to invent procedures to solve new problems is emphasized in the standards, then the research on students' creative problem solving is of great interest. And I would like to insert my own personal note, just an anecdote. I have had so many people tell me over the years that they were all in with new math, all in with whole language reading because it was more creative and they wanted their children to be creative. And this is how it is being sold to the masses. Oh, we want creative thinkers. We want people who are able to be able to work in a creative space, a collaborative space. They don't really care whether the kids learn to read or write and do math. They just want them to be creative. So I'm calling BS on all of it. He concluded that debates about what research says will not settle the issues. Only debates about values and priorities will be decisive. Until the value issue is settled, he said, it will be difficult to find common ground for examining the research. What is best cannot be proven by research. Dr. Hebert used the analogy of health professionals who promote diet, exercise, etc., for a healthy lifestyle, yet medical research does not prove these standards are the best ones. For example, is meat good for you? It is better to use margarine or butter. He says most outcomes in any field are influenced by more factors than can be identified, let alone controlled. Decisions are based on probability estimates and research data can help estimate the likelihood of success. We make decisions with levels of confidence, not with certainty. He then tackled the sticky problem of calculators, delineating the many variables that have to be considered when researching calculator use. Dr. Hybert said the best way to draw a conclusion about this contentious debate was to look at all the studies and seek patterns in the results. He said such a review was done in 1986. The results indicated that using calculators, along with common pencil and paper activities, did not 
harmed students' skill development, and supported increased problem-solving skills and better attitudes toward mathematics. To him, this meant two things. A, a decision to use calculators wisely could be made with some confidence. And B, when calculators are blamed for reducing students' math competence, the full instructional program must be reviewed or a feature of instruction that may be unrelated to calculators and not to the calculators themselves. Of special significance at this point was Dr. Hebert's conclusion that if researchers could not prove that one course of action was the best one, it followed that researchers could not prescribe a curriculum and a pedagogical approach for all students and for all time. Research can and should play a critical role in making informed decisions and setting levels of confidence. But we cannot look to research for clear prescriptions, he said. Research cannot imagine new ideas. New ideas must be triggered while reading previous research and conducting studies. But forming the new ideas required human creativity, wrote Dr. Hybert. Research data tell about teaching methods or curriculum materials that have been tested. So when experiments show results that favor a new method, the temptation is to adopt it but the power of the results is only as great as the control method against which the new method was compared. He also said there may be a third method that is even more effective. Research can influence the nature of standards. This happens only when the implications of research are valued, said the professor. For example, mathematical inventions by students are not included in the standards simply because students are capable of inventing. They are included because an additional value judgment has been made. That invention is an important mathematical process. Research can document the current situation. Dr. Hebert used California as the subject for this topic. He said in 1995, the superintendent of public instruction called together a task force to study why mathematics scores were failing so badly under California's 1992 framework of standards, which had been designed specifically to support NCTM guidelines. The task force was also to propose solutions. Lost in the debate, he said, was the fact there was no information available on the extent to which the framework's document was actually influencing mathematics instruction. Without knowing what was happening in classrooms, how could the effectiveness of the frameworks be assessed, he asked. He then stated that few, if any, education leaders regularly collect information on what is happening inside classrooms. Without such data, we make unwitting mistakes and produce the pendulum swings the pendulum swings that often evident that are often evident in education. Research can document the effectiveness of new ideas. Besides being able to use research to show that programs don't work, it can also be used to accelerate it, said Dr. Hebert. However, he said that visions of programs endorsed enthusiastically by experts can prove 
to be misinformed and unrealistic. What is crucial is that carefully collected empirical data be used to distinguish between the new ideas that can be implemented effectively and those that can't. Otherwise, education debates have no resolution and claims and counterclaims about new programs are based on anecdotal stories without benefit of real information. Again, I'd like to insert here, quite often the student themselves does, does not understand how they've been under, underserved by this madness until they take a placement test to go into college and realize that they are going to be put into a remedial class where they are going to be expected within a semester or two to catch up to their other to their peers in that same university who've had real math and they've had this BS math and for 13 years were told they were smart and and surprisingly creative and oh you 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 think mathematically you're a scientific thinker when they in fact know nothing and to put a K through 13 curriculum into one semester to provide that foundation that will shoot them to the stars into a math related field it's not possible and these are the very students who quit college completely demoralized and the foundations for all of that madness are right here in what Nikki Haley has documented in her book so more from Dr. Hebert as he uh, massages what's what's happening in the research spaces Research can suggest explanations for success and failures. Dr. Hebert pointed out that researchers can probe beneath the surface and collect information that will help prevent mistakes and fruitless debates. High turnover of staff in a school, for example, can have a major impact on a program's effectiveness. Conclusions about what students are learning. The data confirm one of the most reliable findings from research on teaching and learning. Students learn what they have an opportunity to learn, he reported. Further, he said achievement data indicate that students are learning basic computation skills, but not how to adjust procedures to solve new problems or how to engage in other mathematical processes. This caused him to conclude the traditional teaching approaches are deficient and can be improved. He said the argument between traditional proven approaches and the new experimental approaches had led to claims that it was unethical to implement unproven new programs. Both camps equally claim their argument is confirmed by research-based decision-making, he said. Then Dr. Hebert seemed to lay the foundation that further supported the experimental or NCTM-supported pedagogy. He said the largest database shows that traditional approaches have not served American students well, and that a long-running experiment shows serious deficiencies with tra traditional methods, and that accumulating research regarding alternative programs needed to be considered carefully. The database and long-running experiment that showed traditional mathematics instruction was failing was evidently found among the 70 re reference sources cited at the end of Dr. Hybert's report. There is no one general report, evidently, that summarizes clearly the factors against traditional methods with documented and peer-reviewed comments. His report continued, 
the new teaching methods. The professor admitted that summarizing the alternative methods that were being tried on American students was nearly impossible because there were so many programs being used. He chose, however, to have a general focus on primary arithmetic because he said there was a considerable work being done in designing and testing alternative instructional programs for those kindergarten through second grade classes. First, it had been found that many students enter school being able to count and solve simple arithmetic problems. So that meant every knowledge and skills needed to build built upon. Second, students should be provided opportunities for both invention and practice. Third, there should be a focus on the analysis of multiple methods of solving problems. That is, solution methods should be compared for similarities and differences and advantages and disadvantages. Fourth, students should be asked for explanations of how and why they worked the problems as they did. Student learning from alternative programs. Dr. Hybert warned that comparing traditional programs with alternative ones must be done carefully. He did say there was a general consensus among alternative programs on several fronts. One was that an emphasis on conceptual development with the goal of developing student understanding could facilitate significant mathematics learning without sacrificing skill proficiency. Second, he maintained students could learn new concepts and skills while they were solving problems. The traditional method, he said, was to teach procedure and have students practice problem skills using that procedure. Alternative programs could treat the development of the skill itself as a problem for students to solve. Third, he wrote that students who over-practice procedures before they understand them would have more difficulty making sense of them later. He cited four studies regarding this issue from 1935, 1987, 1988, and 1990. I need to get a drink. The lack of implementation. So why aren't more alternative programs in place? Asked Dr. Hebert. One possibility is they aren't implemented effectively enough, even though they show great promise in research settings. Teachers are resistant to change, he said, and new programs require substantial changes. This is why there is so much need for professional development. And if it is not available, teachers have little opportunity to make the changes required for the new programs. Therefore, it is not surprising that promising alternative methods are not widely implemented. One more bit of commentary. If the American people understood how much money in the form of taxpayer dollars has gone into, quote, professional development of teachers, teachers attending classes on their breaks during summer vacation, upping their skills, getting certified in this and that, if parents truly understood how much of their education dollars go for this madness, when teachers come out of teacher school, they should be ready to go to work teaching. They don't need yearly updates on how to do things better or faster, especially when our test scores are proving that things are getting worse. 
what they need to do is implement sound reading and math curriculum. And then the teacher is prepared to make certain that all of her students read and write and do math. They shouldn't have to go back for in-service training and this method and that method. It's madness. Conclusions. NCTM standards are more ambitious than those of traditional programs, said Dr. Hybert. He believed that the standards included conceptual understanding and the use of key math processes as well as skill proficiency. He also believed that when such programs are implemented, quote, with fidelity, for reasonable lengths of time, students have learned more deeply than with traditional programs. He admitted the primary evidence for his conclusion came from primary grades in elementary schools, but believed there was no, quote, inconsistent evidence that students at any grade level who have had core instructional features implemented over reasonable lengths of time perform more poorly than their traditionally taught peers. Of special importance is the considerable learning required of teachers of alternative programs. If they do not have the complete training, their patchwork of traditional with alternative can be critiques as not producing higher achievement, he said. And again, one more commentary because I have to. You see this in the, the war between phonics and whole language. What parents will be told is, oh, we do phonics. We do, pho we do phonics with whole language. It's better when you do both. Or the parents will be gaslit and just absolutely lied to and said, yeah, this is phonics. This is 100% phonics. What it in fact is a whole language curriculum. So when parents go and demand at a school board or a school or principal saying, we want real phonics, we don't want you messing with our children's brains with these fads. And the parents are absolutely lied to. This is what he's talking about. You know, oh, this is a mix. This is a mix of traditional you know, basic curriculum and, and this new stuff that requires all this special teacher training. And so your, your child's getting a plurality of approaches and it makes everything more expensive. It continues to mess with the children and their abilities to think clearly and read with a comprehension level that, that is traditional. And it, it mad, it's maddening to me when I think about how many people in our culture right now are functionally illiterate, barely able to read a nonfiction book. They can get by, they can get by in life, they can write a check, they can do a little bit of math to do their own taxes, write a thank you note, fill out a form, but to go to the library and get a thick, two inch thick book, nonfiction book, take it home, read it, retain it. There is a huge group of people in our country who cannot do that. And it's a travesty. And it's because of these types of policies. Back to the chapter. Dr. Hybert closed by saying the whole issue of the NCTM standards being successful came back to an issue of values. The question is whether we value the NCTM goals enough to invest in opportunities for teachers to learn to teach in the ways they require. This is, sorry for more commentary, but this is really on my heart. This is why parents, as, as they go up against school boards, 
have, you have to get right in their faces and say, no, we're not going to spend any more money on these in-service opportunities for teachers. We don't need teachers to be retaught how to teach. The teachers can teach. What we need is real curriculum, real math, real phonics, and, and get rid of all the BS curriculums and let the teachers go to work. Our teachers are great. The students want to learn. What we've, what we've been steamrolled with is all of this madness. Reading the last third of the professor's report had to leave the NCTM feeling vindicated in their exclusion of anyone who disagreed with their approach and value system. Dr. Hybert's words have indeed been parroted by NCTM followers in their debates with people who prefer Saxon's methods. Based on the negative results of the NCTM or, or alternative programs that he believed would work, and regardless of excuses that may be made for those results, there are some questions that should be answered with specifics and not spin. One, since the NCTM ideas and its supported curricula are shown as difficult for teachers to learn, does that indicate the program is poorly designed? If a teacher were to present lesson after lesson, which her students found to be so different that they could not attach their own prior knowledge and understand the meaning of the lessons, would that lead to frustration on the part of the students? If the teacher did not understand that situation and correct it, would the teacher be at fault? Should the publishers of reform materials not be judged with the same criteria and expected to improve their instructional program? One more bit of commentary. I've said this over and over in my writings. If you as a parent cannot understand what is being asked on your child's homework, on your child's math homework, if you cannot figure out how to do the problem, how can you expect your seven-year-old to understand what is being asked, what they're being taught to do? Again, you have to use your BS detector in all of this. If you do not understand what is being asked, that is evidence you your child is using a faulty math curriculum and it needs to be fixed. Two, how does any school district that requires serious and long-term mathematics education training not face expensive and even debilitating costs, both financially and in human capital, with the normal high teacher turnover? How does this turnover of untrained or partially trained teachers impact students on a yearly basis? What is the accrued effect on student performance by teachers who are in constant need of professional development, which is rarely about content of a subject, but always about the psychology of teaching the many academic and disciplinary levels of students? Why aren't teachers receiving the mathematics content training in their college coursework, as well as the pedagogical training they need before arriving at their job sites. Three, if the alternative mathematics curricula are so difficult for teachers to learn, does this make it equally difficult for them to face parents who do not understand the new, new math approaches? 
How are parents trained in the new programs so they are partners with their child's learning and evidently the one consistent factor in a child's learning? How are substitute teachers who have had none of the training to handle mathematics classes other than being babysitters with busy work that takes already limited time away from the more in-depth learning supposedly provided by NCTM standards? How does the loss of learning time due to teacher absenteeism and the use of substitutes thus impact mathematics achievement for the students? If the mathematics program is not seen as user-friendly, how does that promote positive feelings about the subject? How does that ultimately impact students who might enter more advanced math programs as well as science studies? It's noteworthy that the NCTM curricular standards on which this vast new experiment in mathematics education was to be conducted nationwide listed only 27 references that helped guide the writing of their standards. Those references are generally empty of research from the cognitive sciences. Yet the document claims it is based on theories surrounding cognitive development in laboratory settings. For example, it is accepted that the council's guidelines were based upon the constructivist philosophy. The vast majority of Americans had no idea what that was, nor did they realize there was about to be a radical swing of emphasis to that ideology and pedagogy in public schools. A review of the world of constructivist philosophy should have become paramount if the NCTM promotion of it as being research-based were taken seriously. Yet few educators and other leaders took the opportunity to explain the philosophy to parents, government officials, or likely the many who signed on to support NCTM documents. For example, constructivist teachers wanted students to, quote, construct their own learning events because they believed that would personalize or make meaning of the learning activity. It's also important that when they made meaning, it was in a socially approved way and with shared perspectives of the classroom or school. Social engineering of children's values and belief systems as determined by the teacher or school policies thus became an early criticism for, from those who disagreed with that role of educators who supported the NCTM standards and its related publications. On the other hand, if teachers transmitted the elements within the learning event by giving directions or information to the student, that kind of teaching reportedly made the learning passive, whereas the student's own constructivism, own construction made it active. The constructivists believe that active was always better than passive. So did John. They also believed that much of what students brought with them to school, their thoughts or perspectives, may have to be deconstructed and reconstructed according to the teacher's or school's views. If parents aren't keenly aware of this philosophy, parental values and views can be undone with their child. All of this derives from research by Jean Piaget, Ernst van Glasserfield, and Lev Witkowski, 
it is the basis of the modern explosion of classroom activity. Classroom activities, hands-on manipulatives, project-based learning, and mandatory group work found in today's classrooms. Knowledge, they said, comes from within the student brought forward into constructed products. It does not come from the teacher. That teacher must act as a facilitator to help all the children channel their learning energy and strategies while they are creating their own lessons of discovery. The learners determine the principles underlying the concepts that they invent or discover, after which they might be able to compare their findings with historical concepts and principles that already exist. The learner never has to doubt the objectivity or reality of his or her own knowledge, and each can consider the knowledge of others as a subjective construction. That's why many teachers in a constructivist setting discourage anyone from thinking his or her answer is wrong, even if it is. In other words, the only thing that counts is what the learner believes is right. It is the basis of a classroom being fully child-centered. Another tenet of constructivism is stressing the role of social interaction among learners in the construction of their thoughts. Dr. Vygotsky asserted there was a major significance of dialogue as a tool through which individuals collectively or individually could negotiate conceptual change. This was interpreted as a teaching method that insists on heavy verbalizing and writing by learners as they work through mathematics problems. While the 1989 NCTM curriculum standards was a blueprint for constructivist teaching, part of the other research-based decision-making centered on the characteristics of different learning styles, some social and cognitive scientists in the 1970s figured out why some groups weren't learning mathematics as well as others. In a radio discussion associated with NCTM's 1996 annual meeting, President-elect Jack Price of the Council commented that, quote, women and minority groups do not learn the same way as, quote, Anglo males. I'm going to read that again. Okay, on a radio show in 1996, President-elect Jack Price of the council said, women and minority groups do not learn the same way as Anglo males. He maintained males learn better deductively and in a competitive environment, the kind of thing done in the past. He added, we have found with gender differences that women have a tendency to learn better in a collaborative effort when they are doing inductive reasoning. This is so racist and misogynistic, it can't even be quantified. But there it is, right there, 1989. 1986, he's talking out loud, saying the quiet part out loud. And now we are 30 years later, and FAMO, math is racist and sexist. This broad stereotype of African-American students was determined by two researchers in math education. They suggested these students' approaches to learning might be characterized 
by factors of social and effective emphasis, harmony with their communities, holistic perspectives, expressive creativity, and nonverbal communication. They were likely flexible and open-minded rather than structured in their perceptions of ideas. This implied that African-American students could not engage in rigorous analytical thinking and articulate their ideas in academic prose. American Indians didn't get overlooked in the stereotyping. It was claimed that those students were right-brained. With implications, they also could not engage in structured forms of learning because the functions of the left brain work are characterized by sequence and order while the functions of the right brain are holistic and diffused. If anyone else had openly planned a teaching program based on this stereotyping research, they would have been called racist and sexist, said John. In fact, that was what he called the NCTM program, racist and sexist. This same kind of research had justified the whole language concept whereby phonics and spelling materials or any concrete learning materials were locked in teachers' closets during the 1980s. Only when a whole generation of students was being graduated with low reading skills and reading researches and linguists showed the flaws in the theoretical base for this fad, as well as the fact that there had been no research to support the idea, did a majority of educators back off from the whole language debacle. Uh, some of them did. In other places, it's roaring like an out-of-control fire even today. The holistic approach nevertheless remained a favored vehicle of teaching conceptual knowledge in school subjects, including mathematics. With mathematics being the language of science, that meant science coursework must either join in the holistic approach or see students suffer the disconnect between the two disciplines with the consequential reduction in science enrollment. Because the 1989 NCTM curricular, curriculum standards were designed primarily to bring equity in mathematics studies to girls and minorities, it is little wonder that its guidelines were written with a constructivist philosophy and methodologies that would reportedly play into the learning styles perceived of girls and minorities. The group that NCTM excluded in their intentions for improving mathematics education in America, besides white males, was Asians. It seems they were seen as linear, analytical thinkers, and could supposedly learn mathematics, a dis discipline based on linear and numeral progression of concepts, regardless of how it was taught. The purpose of mathematics education under NCTM guidelines was no longer to prepare students for the hard sciences, which included more advanced math classes. It was simply to make mathematics less mathematical. If the program were working for anyone, it might have been the girls, depending on which reports are read. The achievement gap for minorities did not narrow and continued to be a huge source of major frustration. White boys began losing ground in the progressive dominated school environments. Only the Asians seemed to be succeeding as a quote group. The reasons often given for that success is that education is a stronger cultural value among Asian families. 
Dr. Hybert was right about the relationship between values and standards of performance. The problem remained on how to reach clarity. Even before agreement on the expected performance of learners and then having a mixture of leaders select the right values that would lead to that performance. This situation had become too big to leave to the educators, as John kept pointing out by saying that mamas and daddies had to get involved. And boy, do we ever still need to get involved 30 years later. We need a complete education revolution. This is my commentary. We need everybody to understand the facts and throw out all of this junk curriculum, get back to the basics, merit-based everything from kindergarten through the most intensive graduate programs, merit-based everything. And, and flip the tables, just flip the tables on these establishment education, their glory holes of money just the money that has been made when a child is labeled math or reading deficient and they need special classes and specialist teachers and more time and more money. That is where the curriculum companies make so much cash is that regular curriculum, 10,000 a year. Well, if you're remedial, Oh, we've got the remedial reading, the remedial math classes, but it's going to cost you more. And it just never stops. So I'm calling for common sense reforms. Let's get rid of the Department of Ed. Let's get rid of any organization tied to education that has the word federal or national in it. National Teachers Association. Let's just get rid of it. You're done. You've had your time. Your, your results have not been worthy of the American Republic. We can do so much better. And local control, parents being the ones in charge, accountable for hiring and firing principals, superintendents. I would encourage any parent who gives a rip about any of this, run for your own school board, run for your own city council, start speaking up, share your stories, and let's just fix it. Let's fix it. This is Jenny Hatch. Thanks for stopping by. I hope everyone has a great day.